Welcome to the Original Gangsters Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bernstein. Big, big edition right now. We're going to, we love going straight to the source. Uh, we go, uh, you know, the raw, unadulterated truth when it comes to the mob and the underworld and how this stuff uh, all, uh, you know, plays on a day-to-day basis. So I want to welcome in a good friend of mine, uh, former Genovese mob associate from Western Massachusetts, the Springfield crew, uh, David Chicky Chachatelli. Thank you, Dave. For uh, Thank you, for, Scott. Uh, how are you? Nice to see you. Uh, Chicky's uh, reputation precedes him. I'm not, <laughs> I say that with all you know sincerity and uh, um, you know reverence. You know, uh, Chicky was one of the biggest bookmakers on the East Coast in the late '90s, uh, first part of the 2000s, uh, working for uh, Big Al Bruno and the Schabelli. Uh, did, how, did they pronounce it Schabelli or Schabelli? Schabelli, Schabelli, Schabelli brothers, and yep. uh, then you know his kind of younger crew. That was uh, headed by a childhood friend of his, friend of the show, Anthony Arellata, Benji, uh, took over. And then he was kind of in that little bit of that uh, inner circle for a second uh, before it all kind of came crumbling down. So I kind of want I'm going to just hand the I'm going to try to do something I don't do as often as I should and just shut up and hand over the floor to the chicky. And I'm just going to ask him to, you know, people have been following this. They, they've. We followed uh, our reporting on Springfield. I just find it, it's such an underrated uh, group to study. Uh, and they were in the middle of everything. Uh, most powerful crime family in you know the country, the Genovese. This was a, a faction of those guys. And like I said, I think it all kind of ended the before and after era of what was and what is now. I always say it kind of ended when Joe Massino flipped in 04, you know, a New York mob don decides to become a uh, a rat and wire up on his own people it, it, it's all done at that point but chicky was there for that last maybe decade plus so chick just tell us the story of uh, hanging around uh, as a young knock around guy in springfield and being around the the Chabellis and 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 big al and yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to doing this, Scott. You know, we talk every so often and thank you again for having me. And uh, yeah, yeah, Springfield, I mean, people, people, uh, I try to tell people when I do different podcasts and even people that I are friends of mine in New York and, you know, you can't sleep on Springfield. I mean, people don't realize that. I mean, Springfield in its time was, uh, you know, it was a real deal. Some real people around. Um, I grew up as a kid. They were big, they were big, big money makers. Yeah. Yeah. They were big money makers. And uh, in our in our area, it was um, it was more like I know New York, they do different things like they're really big into the unions and all that stuff. And uh, Springfield was a little different. I mean, big money area. I mean, uh, uh, my guy, my mentor, if you want to call him, that was uh, Adolfo Big Al Bruno. And um, we grew up uh, myself and uh, a friend of the show, like you said, Anthony Arlotta was my childhood friend. We grew up since seven years old, six, seven years old, playing uh, different sports, hockey, baseball, soccer. Uh, his uncle was our was our coach in uh, soccer and hockey. And my father was our coach in um, baseball. And uh, yeah, we hung around since kids. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we came up around these guys. Uh, as a kid, I worked for uh, uh, Anthony Arlotta's father, Tony Arlotta Sr., who was a gentleman of a guy anybody that knew him guy was a, a great guy never was into anything uh street so I'm, you know, a lot of the uh wise guys alleged wise guys whatever they respected him they liked him a lot but he just never was involved in that other than 
betting betting on the weekend. He used to like betting games on the weekend, but he was not involved in that. Did he, he was a hard working guy. Did he have a cigar? Ahead, did he have a cigar? I'm sorry. Did he have no, a cigar? he owned a fruit, fruit produce, big fruit produce store. Okay. Yeah. And he had like the biggest place before, like Costco and them. Uh, it was really, really big. And, um, you know, where they put like the onions and potatoes right on the floor, like Costco does, but he was doing it like in the seventies and eighties before anybody. So, uh, we worked, I worked there as a kid. A lot of us, uh, guys that were friendly with Anthony worked there one time or another as kids. And, um, uh, yeah, the, the wise guys would all come in there. Uh, um, uh, there was two in particular, um, organized crime guys that were very close to Anthony's family. And that was, uh, Al Bruno. I believe, I don't know exactly how, but the mother was related to Bruno somehow, like a cousin, a distant cousin. They, were, they had the same aunt or something like that. And um, also, uh, Anthony DeLeva was very close to uh, uh, Anthony and his parents, and they were very close. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they would come in the uh, Bruno mostly, but they would come in the store on Sundays and all, all, all different times, but mostly Sunday. And they would meet other guys there from Providence, from Boston, New York guys would come once in a while, um, upstate New York, Connecticut, uh, Worcester, because Worcester, we had a couple guys out in Worcester too. Um, a guy, uh, I, I ate dinner with him a couple of times. He loved Bruno. A guy named was Carlo Master Tataro, yeah. and he was in Worcester. And I met him several times uh, at Bruno's restaurant. But he was very close to Bruno. He liked Bruno a lot. And um, so we used to meet them guys. And, and and like some of them guys would come to the store and they'd go up in the back room and talk. And as kids, we wanted to know oh, who was that one? Who was that one? And, you know, we'd figure out the father when they left would tell us, oh, that was him. That was him. So as kids, we, we were around it, you know. And uh, growing up, we hung around um, down the south end of Springfield. It's almost like a, a small South Philly. And it was the same kind of thing. We, we were all friends since kids, you know, growing right up through the teenage years. Uh, you know, a couple of us went to different high schools, but we were together every weekend at night uh, playing sports. Um, you know, it was it was a tight, uh, a very tight crew of guys. And uh, like I said, uh, we came up together since we were kids, you know, and at any given night, we were probably hanging around the South End on the corner with 30, 40, 50 guys. So when, when, and, um, when, when would you have been in high school, the mid 80s? Late 80s? Yeah, I graduated in 19, uh, I graduated in 1985 and uh, Anthony Erlotta graduated in 1986. So, so like, right around 85, 86, our guys, you know. So you were in junior high in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Right, and, right. Yep. And, and just to give people just a, a quick history lesson, um, everyone talks about uh, the Chevelles and Bruno and, uh, you know, DeLevo as well as kind of an yeah. underrated power there that if he hadn't Whew. died, uh, uh, who knows what would have happened? You know, he was a, right. a kind of a, a someone who bridged a gap between different factions and yep. might have been uh, a good boss. I know he was boss for a short period of time. Yeah, but uh, big no, big no. Sam was the first kind of Godfather figure of of Springfield for the Genovese. Do you do you have any recollection of him? Or yeah, I was a young story? kid. I mean, uh, um, I was a young kid, but I remember seeing him several times here and there, and. Uh, you know, he was a nice guy, older, but he was like when we were when we were in our young teens. He was like, I want to say, in his eighties. So he, yeah, was he was really up there. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. Up. And um, but you know, we knew who he was, and we seen him, and we'd say hello. And uh, he he had a little uh, he hung around, you know, down at the Ciro's restaurant back the old Ciro's. And uh, yeah, but we, I like see him once in a while, but not really. He'd be hanging around because, like I said, he was really uh, elderly, el older at that time, you know. And uh, at that time. You know, when he was getting sick, Skyball was kind of 
doing yeah. for things on the street, you know. Big no, tell me if I'm wrong here. B- Big no, Sam uh, was leading things from you know a, kind of a World War II times, right? Uh, into the '60s, '70s, and at that point started to kind of phase out, and then Skyball and Baba yep. and Turtle, Baba, yep. uh, the 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 Chabellis kind of took they took the reins. Like I would say, probably reins. late '70s into the '80s. On the you know the big names on the marquee. So yep. it, can you talk about how the brothers operated? I mean, I know Bruno was under Skyball. Delivo was more under Baba. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well Anthony Delivo, you got to understand we're in Springfield, but it's all the same. But uh, Anthony uh, Anthony Delivo was more with the Puglianos, if you remember that name. Yeah, Frankie, uh, Frankie and Louis Pugs. And Louis Pugs. And they were from West Springfield, which is only literally five miles away from the south end of Springfield. But they, uh, Anthony Delivo and them guys were over in West Springfield, Westfield, right outside Springfield. And they, uh, as a kid, I can remember them more sticking together. And um, like Felix Trangizi and them guys were with the Chabellis, you know what I mean? And Bruno. And uh, but Anthony DeLeva was uh, he was a serious guy. And uh, uh, he he operated a real like talk about low key. Anytime you seen him, he looked like he was a farmer. You know, he had the jeans and the yeah. boots and, and uh, you know, maybe one of them uh, tie and scully caps. Yeah. Animal, though. Animal, you know. And uh, his uncle was Anthony Torino Bendo who was a big figure too in that, in that world, you know? So yeah, these are the guys that came up around us. And, uh, and uh, Anthony DeLeva was very close with uh, Aralada's family. So anytime we would get in trouble as kids fighting in bars or in their bars or whatever, it would always be Anthony DeLeva that, you know, called up or sent word. He wanted to see him or, and Bruno. So between them, him and uh, Bruno, they were uh, on us. I mean, later on on me, when I started working for Bruno, then, then it was more him. Um, yeah, because, you know, they just, they, that's how it was. And, uh, but yeah, it was incredible growing up in Springfield. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was just such a different seventies and the eighties. It was the respect thing. It was just the last, it was the last golden era of this thing in every city. hundred percent. It started to fade a little bit in the nineties, but it was still powerful. 2000s had a little bit of a kind of a pop-up and then all of a sudden, you know the whole thing craters right yeah, I, say, I kind of i look at it as like bc and ad like uh bc is before joe Massino goes bad and and ad yep. is after everything after so for the last 20 years it's just kind of a whole different era but being there right. in the 80s in the in the mix uh like you said boston connecticut yeah uh the, the guys obviously in new york on the west side you know yep. there was a lot of a lot of action um Talk about when you first started making book. Were you booking in high school? Um, if you I'll, in a minute, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. I just wanted to also remind you that back in the like uh, late seventies, eighty, early 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 eighties, we used to Cyril's was a big restaurant. The, the uh, Chabellis owned it, and uh, we used to. I didn't go down as much as a lot of other people, but a lot of people hung around there during the day. And uh, uh, Fat Tony Serlano used to come down to Springfield and be at the bar, and you would never know who he was. If you walked in and didn't know him, he had the overcoat with the cigar and the hat. I mean, you would just look like an elderly guy going in there to get out of the sun. And it was, it was him, you know, he would have a driver bring him down, you know, not too often, but he was definitely there. And uh, so I came up in the eighties and uh, we were hanging around our whole life, you know, since kids doing everything. And, uh, but it started getting like, 
1986, I went into the military. I went to the Navy. I, I went to Great Lakes, Illinois boot camp. And, uh, and I was going to be in until right about, um, early, uh, 1990, you know, it would have been four years and I might've made a career cause I was stationed in Honolulu, Pearl Harbor. And, uh, I got hurt on a ship. So I ended up getting out about six months shy of my four years. Yeah. So I got out in 1989 and, uh, out of the military and I went back to hanging around the South end and everything. And, uh, and Bruno, uh, when, when I, when I, when I came out of the military, Bruno was doing a small prison sentence, I think two or three years for sports bookmaking or something. It wasn't nothing big. And when I came out, uh, he got out, I think in 90, 91, it wasn't only a couple of years. And, um, that's when, um, when he was in a friend of my, uh, another dear friend of mine, who I will mention because he's still around, his father was close to Bruno and he came to me and he said, um, Hey, listen, we need, a, they took a series of pinches, the guys in the office, you know, the older guys. And they said, we need somebody to clean out the office. And they explained to me what it was. And, uh, so I said, yeah, I said, I'll do it. You know, right now I'm not doing nothing. Yeah, I'll do it. And then, uh, I started, that's when I started working for Bruno, uh, 1989, I started and, uh, he got out six months after I started working for him. And, uh, you know, and then he was on the street again. And, uh, other than a couple of state pinches, like just local pinches, um, where no violence, essentially, you don't do nothing for six months. And, uh, it's forgotten about really maybe pay a fine. Um, uh, I was with him. Uh, so that, that happened in the early nineties. We ran a couple of restaurants and bars for Bruno. He gave us a couple opportunities to run uh, a venue for him. We did that, but we were so busy in 19, uh, it was like 91, 89, 90, 1990. We were so busy and having fun and this and that we didn't run it the way it should have been run. So we kind of blew that opportunity he gave us. And, uh, and again, it was, we had the opportunity it was myself, Anthony Arlotta and another kid, like I said, he's around, so I won't mention now, but we were three of us, we were running the place for him. And, uh, during that time we got in trouble in one of their bars, we had, a, we got in a fight in one of their bars and, uh, we, we essentially went on the lamb. We took off the Fort Lauderdale for a month because they were going to get us. And, uh, we got word through, um, one of the Chabelli's nephews, Hey, they had enough They're, you guys are going to get it. They were going to crack us around. And, uh, so we ended up coming back after a month. We thought everything was right, but they got us. Uh, we had to go meet. Uh, it was unbelievable. We met uh, Anthony DeLevo, his uncle Bendo. And then when them guys show up, it's serious. It's not like, you know, you're going to get a good crack. And uh, uh, Baba was there. Felix Trangizi drove us to the meeting. So there were some heavy hitters there. And uh, uh, I looking back now, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. But uh, there was four of us that had to go. And uh uh, Babbitt starts yelling at us about, you know, cause he said, you're going to go in my bar and disrespected it. Cause he owned a bunch of bars in Springfield. This happened to be Macara's. It was a rock bar in Springfield. And, uh, you know, they got Anthony a lot of pretty good. They got another kid pretty good. And they got Anthony a lot of Nikki, his first cousin, pretty good. And then it came to me and, and Bendo stood up and he was going to give me crack. You know, just, they were just cracking us around to wake us up. And, uh, Bendo went to crack me and his, nephew anthony delevo said uncle tony don't hit this kid to me he goes he's a good kid he goes he just drives them around when they do all their craziness so he saved me anthony and uh and i had told this before and bendo took out a lot of money and he goes here go get us coffee so i had to run and get them guys coffee and when i came back uh it was a switch they were friendly again with us and they're like you know don't fight in our bars you're making us look bad you know you're you know whatever so there was a bunch of times like that fighting in their bars and stuff and uh and then at that time, when we got in trouble, Bruno wasn't out. So he would have came and helped us that time and talked, talked for us. But he was uh, he had like a few months to go to get out of jail. So then Bruno came out. And uh, yeah, it, it was a, it was for, for me, it was the last of the raw. I was with Bruno from uh, 
1989, Scott, to uh, 2000. We, he, he, he was murdered in 2003. November, November 03. Yeah, t- November 23rd, uh, uh, 03, yep, after a Sunday night card game, yep. And that's another thing. Uh, I was living in a nice little section outside Springfield. It was probably like 10, 15 at night. And um, a girl calls me up from the social club and says, you know, you ain't going to believe this. And I'm like, what? She said, Bruno just got shot. And I'm like, come on, what are you nuts? Because who would ever thought that was going to happen? You know, Scott? And uh, I shot down to the club right away. And I ran into his son, Victor, was there. And uh, he took it bad. You know, of course, it's his father. And, he, you know, he was saying to me, we got to find out who did this. He was beside himself. And uh, so there was a ton of feds on the scene, state police, everything. And uh, right after they were just taking Bruno and him. What was the initial what was the initial belief that this came from a rival or that did you think that this actually you it was so many different state of mind to think New York called this in? No, I don't think at that time they even thought in a million years New York did it. You know, uh, there was some uh, there was a few different things, but no one thought I, at that time, as far as what I heard, they didn't think New York did it. But they just thought he had a problem with a, a guy over a bar, that kid, Frankie Roach, because he owned a bar. The kid who ended up shooting him, uh, he went in Bruno's bar and smashed the whole bar up. Right. And, uh, you know, looking back now, that was a perfect opportunity to use the kid and say, hey, Bruno's going to come get you. So they pumped the kid up, you know, whoever. And uh, but there was people convicted of it. And uh, yeah, so. We didn't know. We didn't know. And 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 Victor, the son, was going crazy because he didn't know if it was somebody he knew, if it was, a, you know, we, he didn't know. So he was more, you know, going crazy over that, which you can't blame him. He was close. You know, he's, Bruno had five boys and Victor was very close to him. And uh, after they took Bruno on the ambulance, I jumped in my car. I told Vic, I said, Vic, I got to get out of here. You know, this is a lot of heat. And, I, and at the time, I was still on the phone. And um, so I shot over to Anthony Arlotta's house that same night. About Now it's probably 11, 15 at night. And I come to his house and I knock on the door and nobody answers. And, and, and nobody was home. I thought, you know, the cars were in the driveway. I said, oh, maybe he's not home. And just when I was ready to leave, he opened the door. And I, I, I banged. I said, you know, he said, who is it? I said, it's Chicky. Open the door. He opened. And of course, I told him. I said, I said, uh, yeah, you know what just happened? He goes, no. And I, I said, well, Bruno, they shot Bruno. I think he's dead. And of course, you know, he said, no, I can't believe it. Oh, my God, who would have done that? And all this. And he said, come on in, come on in. And when I went in his house, Scott, uh, he shut the door, you know, for me to come in. And on the side of the door around the wooden case of the front door was a shotgun just sitting there. So then I'm like, well, you know, maybe that's, you know, for him, that could be normal, though, because he always had sun. But, you know, I think looking back now, what I know, I think maybe he was just assuming, you know, in case somebody came and, and you know, who knows? I don't know what he was assuming. I'm just guessing. So, uh, yeah. So he sent me, you know, at the time he said, uh, go over, Victor, you know, because everybody went to Bruno's house and help his wife and the kids and talk to them. And he said, go over there and just tell Victor, you know, I'll come see him tomorrow morning. Don't go crazy. Uh, you know, it's his son. We get, I get it, but don't do nothing stupid until I talk to him tomorrow. And, uh, yeah. So for a few years, it went where nobody knew really. And it was a hush hush and everybody was guessing it could be him. It could be that one. It could be this one, but nobody really knew except for the people that were actually involved, you know? And, uh, and, and yeah, so, so it just started off like that. And then, uh, uh, we got picked up in, uh, the end of 2004 by the FBI for that, for that, uh, sports bookmaking case. And uh, on the indictment was myself, Anthony Arlotta, Adolfo Bruno, which I guess they called him an unindicted co-defendant because he was murdered. Right. So, uh, they came and picked us up in, um, uh, sometime in early Oh four, uh, let me say two, yeah, 2004. And, um, and another kid that was just a regular kid. He was a worker, a nice kid. He was never involved after that, but 
he was in the indictment too. And uh, yeah, we ended up, Anthony was uh, at that time when we got picked up, I think he either was in jail or he got sent back to jail right, right before that. And I think a parole violation. So he was in prison at the time when I pleaded guilty, he pleaded guilty on his own because he, I think he was already in prison. And uh, yeah, I went away and uh, we went through all the channels in court. I pleaded guilty and I ended up leaving for uh, um, jail. Uh, I believe it was 2006, early 2006. I left for jail and Anthony was already in jail at the time. And uh, yeah, and they designated me to USP Canaan in Waymar, Pennsylvania, which it was a heavy hitter joint. It was a penitentiary. And uh, I was only behind the wall a little while. And uh, I had some medical issues due to my uh, thing with the Navy, that uh, the, uh, accident of the Navy. So uh, when I first got there, they sent me to MCC Manhattan in uh, Southern District, uh, New York. And I'm going in there. I'm a bookmaker. I mean, in there is guys fighting cases. You're talking about serious guys in there. Yeah, and they, uh, yeah, they happened to put me in the hole for like two days just to get me, you know, get everything, uh, paperwork and everything. And then I ended up, they put me on a floor and, uh, I went up to the floor it was, I think I believe it was 11 South in, in MCC Manhattan. And uh, I went up there and I came in and there's like, it's an octagon unit. All the guys are coming up to you. I mean, you know, they, they feel you out within an hour. They know you're Italian. They figure out where you're from. They got a good system to find it out. And I'll never forget. It's got a tan guy, good looking guy comes over. He's walking over to me. And at the time I had no idea who he was, Scott. And a tan, a good head of hair. You know, he comes over. He goes, you know, he's talking to me a couple hours. What are you doing? Where are you from? You know, we're going back and forth. So uh, he goes, if you want to eat tonight, because in MCC Manhattan, you don't have a, like a like a cafeteria. You eat in your pretty much like in your cell in your unit you eat they bring the food to you and the guy said well, come on and eat come on and eat with us tonight you can come eat with us tonight no problem and i said yeah okay because i didn't know anybody at that time and uh so i ended up sitting with like four guys and um they they introduced themselves and uh it, it was i mean looking back now it was unbelievable but uh I had no idea who they were, no idea. So the guy sits down and he goes, you, you need anything to drink? And I said, it's all right, I'll wait for commissary. He goes, buddy, commissary ain't coming for another week. So trust me, take something, I no problem. And he goes, how you doing? I, I go, how you doing? I, you know, Chicky. And I go, yeah, he, I, I said, I'm Chicky. He goes, yeah. He goes, I'm Vinny. So I go, oh, I'm Vinny. And uh, it was Vinny Basciano, Vinny Gorgeous, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then next to him, another guy introduced me, an Albanian. He goes, I'm Alex, Alex Rudon, yeah. right? <laughs> Lenny, Lenny was, a, Lenny was next to me. Lenny Kaladi, I think his name was Lenny. He was, he was under, uh, Alex. Uh, he was part of Alex's crew. There was Nikki, Lenny, the whole crew. Yeah. Yeah. They were all in there. So, uh, at night, as time went on at night, the Albanian, um, it was the Albanian mob. And then yep. you're with, uh, you know, at that time, the acting boss or yep. at that point he might've actually been boss or Michael was at Michael knows might've been boss, but it was after right. the flip, but this was a right. Boston five families and a guy that, uh, we can, we could go down a rabbit hole with, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to, to diverge here, but I'm just, I want to get your opinion on this. Yeah. I have such an issue with the idea that the federal government would take a boss cut a deal with him, wire him up to ensnare the guys that are reporting to him, the guys that he is telling what to do. Uh, it just, it's all backwards. I mean, the whole point is crazy to guys to go get the big guy. And I'm not excusing Vinny Basciano. He was a, uh, most likely a, someone who murdered multiple people. Uh, I'm sure their, their families are, are heartbroken to this day. And I'm not trying to diminish that, but 
I just think there are there are right ways to go about things uh, in terms of taking down a guy like Vinny Bastiano. And yep. he's got an, he's got an appeal right now. And this very question is going to be uh, posited. Uh, did he have and I want to get your take on it, a the, yeah. the idea that they would make a deal with a boss to wire up on his subordinates. But B, what about the argument that he had no choice but to answer? Because I was just going to say that that could have cost him his life if, you know, in his head. Right. I, I just think it's disgusting um, that they would do that. But it goes to show you the government will stop at nothing if they want certain people. Um, at the time, I didn't know. But maybe looking back now, what I know now, maybe he was a little too flamboyant for the government. Maybe he was a, a like they had that, uh, you know, and, and they wanted it was they got him off the street. It looked better for the government. I think I'm guessing. No, that is what um, they thought. They it thought was crazy. A new John Gotti. And people were saying right. That. Both in the and, 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 and in the in the government, yeah. And Scott, we were up on the roof because you have uh, um, uh, like they walk. They got a couple of basketball coach up on the roof of MCC Manhattan. I was up there with Vinny one day, and he was he was sitting. There was a little picnic table. We were sitting on the roof, and and, and we were talking. And Vinny was telling me, you know, Vinny's very smart. He's a true gentleman. He he knows how to speak. He's very smart, and uh, he was working on his case all day long. He'd be in the law library working on his. Thing. And then he, this happened today. He was up on wreck with me and uh, we're sitting at a picnic table. Alex was there, Rudai. And uh, then he said, can you imagine this? And I was I didn't know about his case that much. I really didn't. And he goes, can you imagine this? He goes that. And he said a derogatory thing about uh, uh, Joe Mazina. He goes, well, that that low life did what he did to me. It, I, I, I was so mad. Like he said a few things crazy. But he said, uh, and I didn't know who this guy was. And I just know about him now because he came out on the circuit. But uh, he said, but my but my man, Dominic Chicali, he broke my heart. And Vinny told me that. He said the other guy, he was mad. He wanted, you know, he, he said crazy things. But he said, and, and it's clear as day. He said, and like I said, I didn't know who Dominic Chicali was then. And he said, yeah, but my main man, my guy, Dominic, it, he broke my heart. Right. And, and he said that to me. I think it should be a lesson, actually. And I'm not here to teach the best way to be a mob guy, but I study this right. stuff and I analyze it. And I just look at Vinny Basciano and Dom Chicali, and I'm not saying that Dom Chicali didn't appear like he could be a very valuable asset and that he didn't check several boxes right. that, you would, that you want to check if you're going to bring someone close to you. But yep. the way I look at it is Vinny Bashan didn't know Dom Chicali until 1999. Nah, that's 100% true. So by the time he's bringing him in and making him a couple of his crew and then eventually, uh, you know, for a brief period of time on a ruling panel, this is only a guy you've known for three, four years. I understand. I agree. I know they got really close and I'm not diminishing. Right, right. Him, I just would, if I'm a boss, I'm not bringing anybody close to me that I haven't known for 40, 50 years. 100%. Easier said than done, obviously. Right. Well, on on a note to that, uh, how many people knew Joe Mazzina for 40 years? How many people knew all the people that turned before Joe Mazzina? So that 40 years went out the window with all of them. So, you know. Yep, yep. It's a whole other thing when you're facing you know, it lights out, no life sentence or death penalty, a whole, a whole different, you know, I mean, I guess for some people, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's just, and in today's era, like we know we can go there after it's over. I mean, it's over whatever's, whatever they're doing, they're doing it, but they're all going legit. And they're just it's on YouTube now. Exactly. <laughs> you got to, exactly. you know, probably, um, you know, without question, the most compelling mafia Don of this era, but yeah. arguably one of the most powerful mafia uh, bosses of this era, according to the government. 
Yep. Um, has a YouTube show, or now it's on Patreon, but has a right. uh, a presence a- as a podcaster. So right. I, I, I just or hate him. It says something about, and I'm talking about Joey Merlino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it says something about where we are in La Cosa Nostra in, in 2024. Right. And, and and let's be honest. I watch. I watch him. I subscribe to the Patreon. I like him. Um, I we like had a mutual. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I like Joey too. I mean, yeah. I, I uh, you know, in a in a certain way, uh, I want the best for the guy. Absolutely, um, he's very charismatic, and he seems. Hey, I don't know about whatever the government says because ninety percent of the time you can't believe them, anyways. But uh, he's doing good. He's. I mean, he's giving back to the community. He's. Uh, and and it must be really making the government mad because by him going on, he's showing them, Hey, listen, I'm done with that. You can say whatever you want, but I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we don't have to go down that rabbit hole, but I, if it's okay, right. Chick, I want to go back for a second and I know it's a yep. sensitive subject and, you know, we can, uh, uh, you know, yeah. anything that you're not comfortable talking about or, right. but I kind of want to talk about, go back to a uh, big Al Bruno and his assassination yep. in, in November of 03 and talk about, right the politics that were at play behind it. I always like, you know, looking, you know, scratching beneath several layers. I mean, there's the, right. we all know about, he got murdered, uh, Frankie Roach coming out of uh, Mount Carmel after a right. game on Sunday night. It was on yep. the eve of his birthday. Um, he had finally kind of reached the apex of his career in the last couple of years of his life, had become a skipper. Um, yep. and it's, and again, I'm just going to kind of give my take on it and I'm going to turn it over to you for analysis. Yep. I think it was kind of like, be careful what you wish for uh, in the sense that and I'm not saying he couldn't have been a good capo or wasn't a good capo because he, for all intents and purposes, tell me if I'm wrong. He was kind right. of a capo under the Scabellis in the 90s. It just wasn't kind right. of a status. He was a leader. Right. Right. Uh, so, but it looks like to me, and in, in my reporting on it, and I've done a, a quite a bit of reporting um, in the the lead up to, to Bruno's demise. Right, there were a lot of different factors going on. You, right, and, and it wasn't as simple. Uh, and I'm not trying to give Anthony a free pass here because he obviously benefited from it. Uh, I'm talking right. about Anthony Arlotta, and was a part of it. It was a part of the conspiracy, um, but. I think sometimes it, it gets, and I was guilty of this at first too, uh, this narrative that the protege took out the mentor to take over his rackets and become a mafia boss. That's what happened. I mean, that is what happened. But it's, it's I, I think it's much more complicated than that. And I right. think no matter whether Anthony Arellata was in the picture or not, uh, things were trending downward for Big Al with New York. I mean, that's what my right. sources on the West Side tell me, that it wasn't right. just it, what was going on in Springfield, that Bruno was ruffling a lot of feathers with the guys in the Bronx and Harlem. Right. I mean, would you say that's um, accurate? Yeah, I, yeah I, I would say that's accurate. And, um, and I think a lot of heat was brought down um, to Bruno from um, – uh, John Bologna too, because remember Bologna was coming down. Bologna was coming down a lot. I used to see, I had back um, 
in that time when bologna was coming down, I had a, uh, like a restaurant pizza shop and grinders and pizza and Anthony Bologna would come on a Saturday afternoon all the time and eat at my place and sit in the back. And so I knew Bologna pretty good. I mean, not that I did anything with him or talked to him, but, you know, hello, goodbye, bus chops with him at the table with Anthony, but no, he, he ruffled a lot of feathers in our area. I mean, but doesn't he, he was a big part of the complete destruction, uh, unfortunately, uh, of our area. You know, he, he, he really was. Big John. We're talking about John Bologna. Yeah, Bologna. Yeah, Big John. Yeah. But doesn't the fact that – so the at the time, the uh, acting boss of the Genovese was little Artie Nigro. Yep. Uh, and Big John, who turns out to be a huge rat. I mean, for yep. years, he'd been ratting on everybody. State police, FBI. Uh, he didn't discriminate. And yep. um, doesn't it say something about what New York, how New York is viewing Bruno, if they felt like they had to send one of their guys to kind of like look after him? I, I doubt that was ever going on with the Chabellis or uh, an Anthony. No, they, weren't, no. they weren't getting old. They weren't being, somebody wasn't being sent from a different state no. to make sure they were no. doing what, what the guys in New York wanted him to do. And that's what right. that looks like. That's what happened with right. John Bologna being sent at Artie or not Artie right. sending John Bologna at Al. Right. And, and in my opinion, I mean, this is only my opinion. Um, Bologna was pumping up Springfield to the guys, you know, to uh, Artie Nigro, like saying, Oh my God, you should see what they got over there. The rackets. And I think he was pumping it up a lot more. And, uh, and maybe, I don't know for sure, I'm just guessing, but maybe that got already pumped up. Like, oh, maybe I'm not getting what I think I should. Or I, I don't know what they're saying. I'm just guessing at that. But you don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah. I think Bologna was really pumping up to them guys down there. Oh, you don't know what they got. That, you know you know what I'm saying, I think. And then there was another situation I want to get your take on. So before uh, little Artie uh, becomes acting boss, right? The, the guy that they were report, the guy that the West Siders, when I say West Side, uh, Genovese, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, sometimes I go to inside. People right. within the Genovese call themselves the West Side, but we'll just call right. them the Genovese. Uh, the, um, I, I guess I'm wondering is with uh, the Genovese and Bruno, was it looks like there were other issues, one of them being the guy before Little Artie was a guy they called Farby, uh, Frank Serpico, yep. uh, who they called Farby. And, and Al was very close to Farby. Right. Um, Farby died of cancer. Yep. And or got sick with cancer. And Little Artie slides into that spot. I had heard right. from people in the Genovese that there had been some. And I, again, I, I'm doubting that you can speak to the, the specifics of this, but I'm just wondering if you've ever heard the rumors that there had been some, a couple instances where Artie, before Artie became boss, felt slighted by Bruno uh, in some social situations, uh, kind of dismissing him. And then uh, a couple years later, or however many years later, now that guy that, if it's true, felt disrespected, now he's your boss. Right. Um, no, I understand what you're. I understand what you're saying, but I personally, maybe I wasn't at that level high enough. To, but I never heard that from who I was around. I never heard that. But I'm just being honest with you. I wasn't around. That would probably be more Anthony would hear something yeah. like that than me. You know. And then, and then, what about? Uh, did you hear anything about the? Uh, there was a sit down 
with uh, Al in Florida that didn't go so well. And I know I did hear about that. I don't know the specifics, but I did hear that uh, uh, he was not too happy how it turned out. That right. I did hear that started, right? But I didn't know the specifics, but I know he wasn't too happy with how it turned out. He thought it was going to go one way, and it didn't. Was a cigarette yeah. deal that he got yes. screwed out of about cigarettes. Yeah. And he never got the, he could, they pretty much told him, you're not getting your money back. Right. And, it was, and he got scammed and felt like yep. uh, that Artie should have his back and Artie didn't yep. have his back. So you have that going on. And then I'm sure you know about this situation. And I, I definitely want to get your opinion on this. Yep. At some point in the last six months of Big Al's life, a 302 surfaces. Yes. Um, and a 302 is a debriefing document. Yep. But again, there's 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 levels and layers to this. It just because there's a 302 with your name on it uh does not mean that you flipped. It does not mean that you debriefed. No. Nope. Uh 302s can be filed uh almost for anything. Yeah, and it's a discretion of the FBI agent what they want to put in there. It's not like they got it on tape and they're. It's what they're get. You're getting his aspect of it, his what he thought, you know. Well, you're also get. Well, I think a lot of people are of the opinion, and I'm talking about people that are like shot yeah. callers in organized crime that somebody's you know that that could order in theory could order a murder. I right. think sometimes they have a, a they they misconstrue what exactly the protocol of a 302 is. So in this right. case, in this case, nobody was saying that Big Al Bruno debriefed or that right. he cooperated. What was being said and what came out in this 302 is that there was a conversation that Al had had with a FBI agent when they were both going to get a pizza and they were taking out. Pizza. They were at a fundraiser at a restaurant, a fundraiser. Right. And, right. and they had a, a conversation that maybe lasted 10, 15 minutes, uh, just basically, hi, how you doing? People yep. got to understand that you, you spend your whole life playing cops and robbers. Like, you know, these guys. Yep. So something you're just going to be cordial. And yep. Al probably got a little loose lip with with what he said. He probably shouldn't have said that. Right. But it to make it look like he was cooperating uh, was was just a false narrative. Absolutely. Felix Trangisi gets a hold of this thing and starts waving it around New York City, trying right. to show anybody that would look uh, right. trying to undermine Bruno. So again, that that wasn't Anthony Aralotta. No, no, I ne- no, I never, you know, right. I know that was Felix. Okay. Yeah, and 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 him and Bruno never really. I mean, they got along because they had it, but they were never best chummy buddies. You know, when they were on the street, even you know. Earlier, you know, meaning meaning Felix and Alex, or or sorry, Felix and Anthony. Al, Al, yeah, they 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 knew they. In other words, they uh, you know they definitely you know had to respect each other, but it wasn't. You know what I'm saying? Bruno, what you're saying, Trangisi wasn't incredibly close to Bruno. Right, exactly, right. Which which you know plays into the fact that he was trying to get Bruno killed, and I think in tell me if I'm wrong, I think in Felix's mind, Anthony Arlotta right. wasn't going to take over; he was going to take. Right. Over. Right, right. Well, that's what they were. That's what they're putting in his head, from what I hear. Right. Uh, what, what, what do you? So, what do you feel about just the the, the three hundred two situation? And I think if if they're going to bring up the three hundred two on Bruno, then I mean, for for ten or fifteen years, he played racquetball in the eighties with um, Matty Ryan, Matty the Ryan. district attorney, and nobody said nothing then. So, um, did Bruno? I mean, do I believe, in my opinion, Bruno was any in any way, you know, 
that what they're saying? Absolutely not. Uh, do I believe he made, fr not friends, but do I mean he kept them guys where they would see him and say, hey, Bruno, and talk to him, and he could have a, a, a rapport with them? You know, not the way people are, some people are saying. But yeah, you know, he did. That's how he was. He was anytime he'd see you, hey, what's up, buddy? He didn't care, you know, and he was just, uh, you know what I'm saying? And that's how he was. It, it wasn't like he was giving secrets or nothing like that. You know, I just think it was, a, in my opinion, it was an opportunity that they, they saw and they said, we're going to use this. This is what we're going to do now. We're going to use this. And that's what I think. Right. And there's no doubt Anthony took advantage of the situation right. and saw a way for him to kind of be slick and savvy and use all the crazy drama that was going around him yep. to his advantage. And But again, just like I said before with Big Al Bruno, be careful what you wish for. Same with Anthony. Yeah. He became right. boss and was officially boss for like six, seven years, but it wasn't, yep. it wasn't a run. He was constantly no. in and out of jail yep. uh, on, on bond restrictions, on uh, parole or probation. Yeah, and followed all the time. His truck was wired up. I mean, it was a, it was tough. I mean, it was a crazy time. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a glorious run as boss no. of, of, of the Springfield crew. And so let's bring us to, we don't have to talk names. Um, yeah. But, you know, there is something there still. I don't think it is the shadow of what it once was. Uh, I don't know how much you want to talk about your your nephew, but uh, your your nephew who was a Latin king. Yeah. Um, one of the an Italian Latin king that became a boss. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah. Uh, and, he, and you guys live together. And we lived together for several years. Yeah, when he when he got out of uh, the first prison, Fort Dix, he really didn't have nowhere to go. And I had a house at the time, so of course, you know, back then, he, his my brother came to me, uh, his father, and said he's got nowhere to go. I said, well, he can come in and get his life straight with me, you know, you know. And uh, we ended up staying together for a while until uh, that that you know, that biggest bust on East Coast history, uh, December fifth, two thousand nineteen. And they tried to like jam you up in that with like a bull. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a, like a possession of uh, a gun and ammunition, but uh, yeah. it was a federal. They found it, right? And they only could charge with the ammunition because uh, lawyer, it was Smith and Wesson. Your lawyer was brilliant, though, too. Yeah, he was great. Dan Hagen, great lawyer, yeah. really good. And the way the way he argued it was just like, yeah, they weren't. This wasn't yeah. something that was aimed for uh, for Chick. This had right this was a specific warrant that was meant to go after a specific part of the house. Had nothing right. to do with where Chick lived or. Um, exactly. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that you, you got clear of that. But the fact, yeah, that, yeah. So, I mean, again, I want to talk. So, about I ended up doing. Um, I had like four months in because they revoked my bond for some investigation, and then they had to let me out again. But because of COVID, during COVID, they revoked my bond, and then uh, I was in like four months, and my lawyer got me back out on a thirty thousand dollar bond. And then I plead, ended up pleading guilty, and I and I I think they were looking to give me four, fourteen or fifteen months for ammunition, and uh, and my lawyer fought it, and he said, "Hey, uh, the kid's got four months in already. Uh, COVID running ra ragged, and he's got an illness from the military, you know." Um, and he fought and got me a uh, a year so house warrant, arrest. Just so people understand, the warrant had nothing to do with Chicky. Nothing, yeah. No they had no business going in the part of the house where yep. Chick lived. Right. The fruit of the poisonous tree. The warrant had to do with Chick's nephew who got yep. arrested and eventually convicted. And all. Yep. So anything that you're looking related to that is fair game. But you can't use a warrant. Uh, in that case, I don't know if it's officially illegal or not, but that didn't fly. And it shouldn't. Have right. Right. Yeah. 
um, so yeah, so you know where we are today. I think it just was kind of a snapshot. So your nephew and his people, the Latin Kings, yep. which is a, a formidable group. Uh, yeah, he was he was the Latin Kings boss on the East Coast, New England. Right. Um, I think uh, it's it's a very big in in Chicago and New York. Yep. Um, but they were. It looked like, in some ways, they had almost supplanted the Italians um, as organized crime in the area. They right. Were, they were using the old Bruno Club. Right. Bruno Club. Yep. So it. I just think, just like I said, like all these things that I'm talking about, where you just kind of look at a situation and the, and the situation speaks volumes. Exactly. Like, doesn't this say something about where Springfield organized crime is right now? If the Latin Kings are in your old headquarters. Right. I, I would say so. And they, they had several parties there. I was at a couple of them, just like me and security, not for them, for the club. You know, I was helping the club, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah, they had a couple of summits there with, you know, seven, 800 kids from all over the East coast came to it. And the FBI was out there, the state police, they were, I mean, it was more cameras. It was unbelievable, but you know, they were other than having a party and, and cooking and having music, they weren't doing anything. So they could, they, there was no arrest or nothing when they were pulling them over, checking their cars and stuff. So, so, you know, chick, um, let's talk about where you are today. You're doing some pretty exciting things. Uh, yeah. I'm blessed. Nothing, yeah. Thank you. I'm blessed. Nothing to do with your old life. Uh, turn around nope. a new leaf. Uh, this is, yep. Kind of the second chapter or the third chapter, maybe the second chapter was going to the military. Right, right. And uh, you're involved with some some cool projects. And yep. uh, why don't you tell some people about them and where they can kind of check them out? Yeah. Um, uh, last Friday night in Hartford, uh, we just uh, I'm not I was never an actor, but I tried out for a couple of things and I was blessed. Uh, um, we shot a movie called uh, The Featherweight. It's the story of Willie Pep. Uh, from Hartford, the professional fighter, the featherweight, uh, 229 professional fights. Uh, James Matteo, he was in uh, Band of Brothers. He was in Hook, done a ton of movies. He was in The Offer about the making of The Godfather. He was uh, in that series. He plays uh, um, uh, 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 Columbo's uh, bodyguard. He's a short guy, but he plays a good part. Uh, uh was it Joe Colombo? He plays Joe Colombo's yeah, um, bodyguard, yeah. bodyguard in the movie. And uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's Apian Way is the production house who took on the productions and some great actors and myself and another guy, uh, an ex street guy uh, with the Irish guys, Brian Hoyle, who uh, was uh, his good friends with Rexy. They've been together forever and they own, they own some bars together and at one time. Just to let people know Brian Hoyle's another guy that has turned over a new leaf, a guy yep, that yep. was. Uh, you know, yep. affiliated with with OC in Western Massachusetts yep. and 18 um, years in prison he did 18 years Irish, in federal Irish prison guy, total yeah and now both yeah. of you guys are are, are yeah we were both in it we got uh he talking roles not too long but it was good we went and seen it Friday the the, the red carpet event so that's going good we got a couple other things coming up and uh Brian uh, was in a project I was under house arrest so I couldn't go um Brian was in a project with John Gotti Jr uh they flew them out to Miami and uh uh, he's shooting a uh, Woodsec Mafia. They shot a couple uh, couple episodes of that. So just going in the right direction and trying to do the right thing. And uh, I got uh, three grandchildren. I got another two coming this month. Twins are coming. So five grandchildren. And uh, and I and I, I I'll go back to where you want to go. But the main reason, and I appreciate you having me on, is that change is possible. And like I tell people, um, you know, not that I'm anything special or anything, but you can change 
you can change if you really want to change without becoming an informant, without, um, you know, going to do it, you know, getting 30 years and then deciding you want to change. You can change, you know, and, and, and knock on wood, I was lucky enough. I, you know, I never took that oath or got in that, that serious. So I was blessed enough where I could walk away and just say, Hey, God bless. I'm still friendly with a lot of people. Um, as you can see the pay, my pictures I put up and stuff, uh, uh, I go have coffee with Mario Fiore, who's a hundred years old, legend. OG, man, that's the OG's OG. He's great hopefully, guy. We go have, yeah. Help. Let's hopefully we can maybe get him on for an interview at some point. Yeah, oh, he's. I don't know about that. You know, he's still old school, but uh, he's a great guy. We have coffee a couple times a week. He's a real gentleman. He tells me some funny stories about uh, back in the day uh, in Las Vegas with all the uh, fancy girls. You know, the uh, uh, Liza Minnelli, the Rat Pack. Yeah. Yeah. He's got pictures. You wouldn't believe the pictures he got. Yeah. And uh, he's a he's a gentleman. Uh, I, I, I I like talking to him and I learn a lot from back in the day as far as uh, back in the junket days to, to Vegas. You know, yeah, he was running travel junkets. To Vegas. Yeah. 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 And uh, and like I said, and now let's face it, um, Scott, as you know, uh, about a year and a half ago, Massachusetts came legal for gambling. So we have MGM. And uh, now it's legal. Everything's legal now. Marijuana business Marijuana's is legal, legal now. In Massachusetts. Gambling's legal. That's it. And, and like I was saying before, Shylarkin, would the bank say Shylarks? You know, don't pay your mortgage for three months and you're going to wish somebody came and talked to you and let it, instead of take your house. Yeah. So it, it's, it's going in a new way now. You know, the credit card companies. What's that? The credit card companies. Oh, exactly. 33%. Come on. you through the roof. It's crazy. So, uh, yeah, so I'm just blessed. And like I said, uh, um, and then we grew up as teenagers uh, with Freddie Gia's and Ty Gia's. They were oh, yeah, with yeah. Anthony. Thank you for reminding me. Just yeah. let's finish on that note. So yeah. Freddie, um, the Gia's brothers were, were uh, you know, enforcers for, for uh, Anthony Arrelata. Yeah. Um, Freddie right now is facing, a, we got convicted of the of Bruno murder. Yeah. And, and now is facing a murder case from in prison but right. that murder honestly uh was a public service i'm not gonna yeah yeah bullshit. uh he killed whitey bulger who absolutely was the irish mob boss that was a cooperator and i'm not saying he should have been killed no no absolutely i know i'm saying he should have been killed for the women and children yes. that he i'm not talking yes. about gangsters i'm no. talking about he killed women and women raped and he raped children. He was a child predator. Yep. Uh, that's a part of his story that doesn't get uh, enough run. The movie right. Mass really sanitized it. Uh, but right. he, was a, he was a predator uh, and he was he killed women in addition yep. to his gangster stuff. And uh, I I don't blame him for what he did. Nonetheless, he's going to be going on trial for it. What was your uh, this happened five, six years ago? Yeah, he was he was in the hole for two, three years. Yeah, I think what he did, did more than that. I think for closer to four or five and a half years, he was in the hole. Just got and uh, six months. Right. Ago. So they charged him. Right. When you first heard about it, what was your reaction? I, I mean, I mean, I knew Freddie's take on informants. I knew that. But um, like I said, I, I mean, what do you say? I mean, you, you know, uh you know, if he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail, I mean, I mean, you know, I guess, I guess you become now he's like the OG of jail. I mean, wherever he goes, you know, but, um, yeah, Freddie, what's he like? What, what kind of Freddie was, Freddie, I'll tell you the truth. Freddie was Ty, Ty, uh, Freddie was very, um, Freddie was a smart kid. 
and he, he didn't he didn't fly off the handle. Freddie was very smart when it came to stuff like that. Ty was the one that flew off the handle. You never knew what you were getting with Ty, you know. But Freddie was very level headed. I mean, uh, you know, he had he had he had a you know he he could look, get things done looking, as we know looking, now. Good looking but, uh, guy. Good looking. Oh guy. yeah, yeah. He always had the girls and everything. And uh, I, I'm all, still friends. I talked to his. I talked to his family to this day, his cousins. Now they've got a good family. And uh, yeah, I mean, they're just dealing with Freddie. He's got a son and a daughter. You know, they haven't seen their father. And his brother Ty got a, a, a daughter in her early 20s. So it's the, at the end of the day, it's the families that suffer when the, when the men go away, you know? I know Freddie's daughter was a soccer player in college. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, good athlete. Yeah. Yep. And um, I know also, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, Freddie had a personal beef with whitey because of a guy named right a guy they were with uh, in in state prison right yeah freddie whitechill who got framed by whitey and had to do exactly 30 some years in prison for a murder he didn't commit and got out recently and is getting hopefully going to get a big settlement exactly or the federal government um chick this was uh amazing man thank you so much for for oh absolutely thank you for having me like i said and uh just remember the movie, The Featherweight. It's coming out. It'll be uh, out probably within a month because we did the, like I said, we did the final red carpet. So I'm looking forward to it. And like I said, anything positive, whether it's the podcast and uh, or you know other things, I'm just blessed that I made it. I made it out and I made it through everything. You know. What uh, tell them everybody where they can find you on like Instagram? I'm on Instagram uh, uh, under my name, Chicky. Maybe Scott can put it in the description, Chicky Chigatelli with an underscore at the end. And I'm on Facebook, Chicky Chigatelli. And you know, I put funny things up, and I just you know, you'll get a little uh, sense of craziness. I am, you know, I just put up my grandkids, I just put up everything, but I have fun with it. So if you ever want to find me or anything, you can go right on the Instagram or Facebook. You look too young to be a grandfather, Chick. I know. Well, I don't know. I'm yeah, 56, yeah. so I don't know. Well, but, thanks, Chick. This was awesome. Uh, thank you, Scott. We're going to be heat. We're, you know, I just wanted everyone to know that uh, we were kind of slowing down a little bit on our on our interviews uh, right. at the end of twenty three. We had some, you know, resource uh, issues and booking issues, but uh, Chick is kind of going to be tipping off a uh, a cavalcade of stars that we're going to lay out <laughs> over the next couple of months. We're going to have a lot more long interview content uh, and a lot of guys that you haven't heard uh, from before, like Chick, uh, shedding fresh insight and perspective on maybe some old stuff, but also some new stuff. So Chick, right. this was this was great. We're going to have you back soon. Thank you, Scott. You were considered a, appreciate it. Uh, you're an OG and that's, that's, you know, that's you <laughs> I don't know about you. that, but thank you. Yeah, well, you're an OG now, bro. I'm an OG yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm pushing 50. You're pushing but I'm an old, but the OG for me is old grandfather. Right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chick. For, uh, thank you, Scott. Have a great day. For Chick in Western Massachusetts, I'm Scott Bernstein, OG Pod out. <laughs>